let me mention a couple of things that will be taking place. Is my speaker on good? Are we good? Okay. We had a little confusion last time, so I wanted to make sure. Okay. Um, so... Probably next week I'll be uh, finishing this sermon series in First and Second Corinthians, and then we'll begin um, looking at Ephesians six ten to twenty on spiritual warfare, and you can begin reading a little bit in that chapter and thinking about that. Wanted to mention that Wednesday nights we'll be moving. We typically meet in the um, fellowship hall, but we're moving over to the chapel on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and um, we're just calling it a night of celebration that will include um, worship, teaching, testimony and prayer. And then I wanted to mention that our Wednesday night Celebrate Recovery is going to take a little break and then when they start back they'll be on Thursday nights. So if that involves you, some of those things involve you, then you can keep that in mind and there'll be more info coming. Um, I, I want to begin by kind of letting you know where I, I want to, my emphasis is going to be toward the end here, verse 20 through 21, and it's going to really be, the question I'm trying to pose is what needs to happen in our church that we can experience an outpouring of God? Um, so let me just walk through this a little bit uh, to begin with and, and I'll say there's, there's two things I, I kind of changed my numbers from the first sermon a little bit this morning and I'm going to make it real simple there's two things I think um, one is biblical authority and the other is um, confession of sin and cleansing that would be personal and corporate so there's two things we really have to have if we're going to experience a genuine outpouring of God. And one would be biblical authority. And that's really what Paul is defending when he goes through this chapter. Like, what is he, why does he keep defending his ministry? Because he's defending biblical authority. And the second would be um, what hinders the Spirit of God from working. That would be sin. And it could be sin in the life of the church or it could be sin in us as individuals. And so that's just a really simple outline for where I want to go and talk about this. So Paul says, um, I've been a fool in verse 11. You forced me to it, for I ought to have been commended by you. Um, he was on this long description or defense of his apostolic authority, and then he kind of says, well, it's your fault. In some ways, it's your fault because you should have been the first ones to recognize that he was a genuinely called apostle of God. So the question comes, what, what is, how do you know if someone's a genuinely called apostle? Like who were the true apostles? And I want to give a little bit of info that I think um, could help you identify a real apostle. There, there's, the first thing he says is signs and miracles and wonders. And Paul certainly checked that box. Um, if you read in Acts chapter 15, they had just come back from a mission trip, and they report in Jerusalem, and they're given a missionary report, and it says, and 
they were revealing stories about some of the miracles that God had worked through them as they uh, were planting churches and doing their uh, missions work. And then here he says in verse, 13, uh, verse 12, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. I'm not sure if you would say that you've seen, some of you probably would say you've seen signs and wonders and mighty works of God. And some of you would say, I, I'm not real sure, like what do you mean? Um, like an amazing, in the Bible, some of the things they saw is they saw Jesus walk on water. Um, they saw um, the Red Sea part in the Old Testament. They saw um, the apostles saw Jesus lift to heaven, ascend to heaven. The apostles themselves did miracles and they healed people. Um, some people that were blind could see. Some people that were lame that could walk. Some people that couldn't hear could hear. Um, they saw some extraordinary things. Some people had demons cast out of them. So they saw things that would qualify as signs and wonders and mighty acts of God. I'm not sure if you feel that you've seen very many of that, but it was a sign that accompanied the apostles. Several other things that were part of their ministry um, was their changed lives. Their lives were so, people that knew them beforehand could just see their lives were radically changed and they had a Christ-like character. They were a lot like Jesus. And they heard the teaching of Jesus. And they go, man, these guys actually remind me of Jesus and the way they live their lives. And then their, their prayer lives, in Acts chapter 6, 4, in qualifying church leaders, it says that pe people that were filled with the Holy Spirit and the church leaders gave themselves to prayer. So that was something that Paul certainly had in his life. And then bold proclamation of the gospel. Um, with unbelievable boldness. They were not afraid to share their faith, uh, even if it meant persecution. And that's another sign that they were willing to endure suffering for Christ. And Jesus said in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount that um, if you walk with Christ and you're part of God's kingdom, then it's very possible that you'll experience great suffering like Jesus did and like the prophets did. And Paul and the apostles certainly could check that box and then they had a confirmation by the other apostles I don't know if you know this story but at first Paul wasn't accepted by the apostles the other apostles because he before becoming a Christian had been a persecutor he would go around and persecute Christians and so when he became a Christian the apostles weren't sure and they didn't accept him at first but Barnabas came along and said hey he's the real deal and then they watched him at work and he had such boldness and they could tell that he really had changed and he was so zealous for the kingdom of God that they began to recognize that God's hand was on him in such a mighty and powerful way. And then maybe one more thing, uh, two more things actually. One was fruit, the result of his ministry. There was so much fruit in Paul's ministry that uh, it would validate that he really was a gifted person. It, it's kind of like if it would be like someone maybe saying that they're a, a, they ought to be a pastor, but everything they touch, every church where they go is destroyed and 
you know, nothing's working and there's no results and there's no fruit from their ministry, but they still feel like I'm so called of God and everywhere they go, um, the church just falls apart or people leave or um, there's no fruit from their ministry, but Paul had so much fruit from his ministry, it's almost laughable that anyone would not think that he was an actual apostle. And then one more thing that often seems to fit is that um, all the apostles had a personal encounter with the risen Savior. And Paul's encounter came later, after he was converted, after Jesus had ascended into heaven. Paul had a personal conversion, and in that conversion on the road to Damascus, he had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. Um, the risen Savior met with Paul on the road to Damascus. So those are some of the things that are part of his apostolic authority. But you may be wondering, so what does that have to do with us? But what it really has to do with is this book. It all has to do with this book. Because Paul was one of the writers of this book. And this book is the foundation of everything we believe. And Paul, if Paul was discredited as a writer and contributor to this book, then a large portion of our New Testament would be um, disqualified. And I don't know if you realize how important it is to learn how to defend this book. We believe this book. We base our lives on this book. It's from this book that we hear the gospel. If someone comes and they say we're preaching a false gospel, it's only by this book that we would be able to challenge what they're saying. Teachers come along and they say different things and they disagree. And it's only by this book that we can go and say, even really strong Christian leaders disagree on things and some of them begin to veer and some of them actually end up start out pretty good and then maybe they even end up teaching heresy or they end up leading people astray or they turn into a, it turns toward becoming a cult and you're wondering, how do you know? It's because of this book. And Paul would give every fiber of his being in understanding that he had a call from God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ who was going to be one of the men whom God had called to give us this book, this gift from God. And this book is under attack. It's always under attack. And there's people who don't believe it. There's people who say they believe it, but they don't follow it. And there's people who say they're followers of Christ, but they don't follow the book. I just want you to understand how important it is and, and be thankful when you're reading and Paul's defending his apostolic authority. Remember that what he's really doing, he's defending this book. He's defending this as the communication that we have from Almighty God. And without this communication from God, we would not know God and we would not know the way of salvation. We would not know Jesus and we would be left to our own devices and we, none of us would be able to make our way to heaven. It's through the message and the gospel of Jesus Christ that comes through this book. So the first thing that I want you to understand that Paul was doing, he was defending not necessarily his authority as apostle. That was secondary. What he was really defending was that the message given to him by God was genuinely authentic. And it was authenticated by miracles and by um, the things I just mentioned to you. All the things that qualified him to be one of the people that God used to give us this precious book. So when you read him and you're kind of wondering, why does he keep doing this and why is it so important for him to defend his calling? It's because his calling is where 
was to be one of the contributors to give us our book. I don't know how important this book is to you. But I plead for you to understand how important it is. This is how you're going to know God. It's through His Word. And He's going to communicate through His Word. And He's going to use the Holy Spirit that came upon Paul and the apostles to be the writers of this book. He's going to give the Holy Spirit to you to, be, uh, to enlighten, help you understand this book. And so we don't worship the book. But by this book, we learn of the one whom we worship. You see the difference? It's very important that you understand why Paul went to so much trouble to articulate and defend his qualifications as one called by God. He even says in this chapter, it's like, hey, I'm, I'm not that much. I'm not so great. But I have been given a great assignment. And he just makes it real clear that you can't waver from our message. You can't waver from this book. You can't add to it. You can't take away from it. So if someone doesn't recognize this book and they want to add another book to it, whether it be a Book of Mormon or an Apocrypha or anything other than this book, then they're false teaching. Because we have this. And we're going to stand on this and we're going to teach this and everything that we hear. Even if someone has a message from God, truly from God, we still go back to this book. And if you're not very good at that, then that's why you come to church and that's why you go to Bible study and that's why you read for yourself and that's why you find good books that help you understand the Bible. It's very important. Okay? I think you got that part. The second thing is, if, that if we're going to experience an outpouring of God, then we're going to have to get rid of some stuff that's in the way. And some of that stuff floats around in the church of Christ, and some of that stuff floats around in us. Some of it's sin in the body, as a, the church body, the church. Some of it's sin in me. And so those are two things I, I want to look at. Um, I want to read something about um, revival. Um, Y'all know that I like uh, a lot of some of the writings of Jim Symbol in one of his books called Spirit Rising. He says, we need the fire of the Holy Spirit changing our lives and our local assemblies. We need it spreading throughout our towns and cities, spreading so Christ can be glorified. May that be our prayer today. Send the fire, God. Burn, penetrate, change, renovate, illuminate. Do as you promised as we wait in Christ's name. That's what I want. What do you want? If you're a Christian, it's what you want. If you don't want it, then you can't. How can you be a Christian and not want that? We do want that. Lord, we need the fire of the Holy Spirit. Was there something in the way? Is there something hindering? Can, can, can I give you a few examples of some things that have, um, I've experienced that are uh, problematic or hinder me when I have something I, I want to get done? One of the things is, I don't know about you. Or you may not be funny like this, but I'm funny like this. When I'm studying and there's stuff on my desk or in my room and it's messy. It's like, I can't, I have a hard time studying. So I got to clean my desk off. Straighten my desk off. That stuff's bothering me. I want to focus. Yesterday I had to clean, I had some stuff on my desk and I was preparing for this sermon and studying. I was like, oh, I got to get all this stuff off there. I had some important stuff, but I, I need to move it. 
get it somewhere else. Put it where it belongs or something. And then I also had some stuff um, in, in my office. It wasn't a lot, but it just bothered me. I had to get it out of the way so I could focus on the task at hand. And then once I got it out of the way, I was, I was good to go. But as long as it was there, it was bothering me. And my goal was to prepare for this message. And in order to do that, I, I had to get rid of some, some junk. I had to get rid of it. I put it away. Okay, that's one example. Another example is, um, here's a good example. Uh, you, any of you ever had the sweet smell of a dog that got hit by a skunk? The only worst thing than having your dog get sprayed by a skunk is when he immediately runs in the house and stinks, stinks sticks to everything for days. It's bad enough to have your dog get, get sprayed by a skunk, but then it's worse when he comes in your house and goes jumps on your bed. It's like, you don't get rid of that with Lysol. It takes some time. And it's funny how people look at you funny for the next couple of days as you walk by them. Like, you don't know that they smell your skunk. You're like used to it. And you're like, going, I don't stink. Someone's like, I smell skunk. And it's you and your furry four-legged friend who had contact with a real stinker. Okay? Another example. It's, it's like... You ever had a, a small cut, small cut, and it starts to get infected? It's like you didn't wash it out well or you got some there. Did you know that, that little cut, which leads to an infection, it could kill you? It's possible. It could turn infected, and it could actually turn, a certain kind of infection could turn to blood poison. It could get in your blood system, and it could, it could become life-threatening from a little cut. Something that, that dangerous could come from something that seems so naive and so innocent. And then the last one I want to share with you was um, when, when I was when we lived in, in Roanoke, Virginia, um, quite a few years ago, and it was our anniversary, and we went to Steak and Ale. And I remember the Steak and Ale because it was one of my favorite places to eat there. And we were at Steak and Ale, and I had the most wonderful dinner and the most wonderful time with my, my beautiful wife celebrating our, our wedding anniversary. But about five hours later, I felt different. Because Montezuma's Revenge came after me, and I had food poisoning. And I was like, I was so sick. I want, I, sometimes, you ever been so sick you think dying might be an option? And I was there. I was there. Whenever I got super, super sick, I like go, Lord, this is as close as I ever want to get to hell. So thank you that I'm, I'm saved. Um, it was horrible. I ate something, and the, the interesting thing is, I didn't know what it was, but I, found, I certainly found out my wife didn't eat it. She didn't eat whatever it was, and she wasn't sick. But it's amazing how something good started out good turned terrible because of something toxic. Do you know there's a spiritual equivalent to that? Spiritual equivalent to that. Sometimes things seem so good, but there's something that gets in us, and it roots in, it begins to destroy our spiritual our spiritual life. And that's kind of what I, I want to talk about. I think, um, as you can see, as you get toward the end of the, the chapter here, um, Paul, I, I'll, I'm, I'm jumping all the way down to verse 20. And so Paul sees some problems going on in the church. And then he sees some problems that some of the individuals in the church hadn't dealt with yet. Okay, so he says, I fear, verse 20, that perhaps when I come, 
I may find you not as I wish. And you may find me not as you wish. Which Paul's saying, um, there's some stuff we're going to have to deal with and it, you might not like it. And I might not like it when I see it and you might not like it when you see me coming. But he says, we're going to deal with it. Perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. Paul's pointing out some stuff in the Corinthian church that's reality in every church. There's not a church that doesn't have this. I'll tell you what I've discovered is really hard about being a Christian, and that's loving Christians. Really hard to love you guys. I'm, I'm a lovable guy. But you, not so much. And the problem is, as you get to know someone, you start realizing, man, we're both sinners, and we're trying to live for Christ and love Christ. And this person's really getting on my nerves. Or this person said things about me. Or there's a rumor going on, or whatever it is. And in the body of Christ, what Paul was feeling is like this is going to hinder the work of God. And we got we got to deal with sin in the life of the church. And it's always there. I've never pastored in a church that didn't have a problem, and I've never pastored in a church that didn't have that problem, that didn't have that problem all the time. Because sinners go to church. Sinners go to church, therefore there's always sin there, and therefore I don't, know, I don't care what ministry you're in, I don't care what church you go to, I don't care um, what group, life group you have, what people you hang around with, they sin. And if the sin isn't dealt with, then it, it can be toxic. And it, it's like my meal at Steak and Ale, everything was good, but something I've been into was toxic and it got me. It, it got me. And God's like that in, the, in His church. Um, he said, let's, let's get that stuff out. Let's, let's get that stuff out. Um, and let's, let's see if we can see revival come. Let's see if we can call out to God and deal with some of the stuff, the typical things that Christ, Christians have to learn to forgive each other. Christians have to learn to work on things. Christians have to learn to be honest and genuine and, and the church. Um, and then, how about for yourself? So those were some of the things going on in the church. And then, he's, then he pointed out some individuals and things they had going on in their lives. And he, he, was, he, was, he says in verse 21, I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you, and I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality that they practice. So Paul said, my heart utterly breaks. My, my heart utterly breaks because there's people that have been sinning and they're still committing the same sins. This list is a little bit more um, physical, Im impurity, sexual immorality, sensuality, so he, he lists some things that were, um, a lot of this list seems to be geared towards sexual things, impurities, but it, it, it 
it's not limited to that. It's not like only those things. What Paul is saying is, some of you have been walking with Christ and you're still in the same mess. Some of you have been walking with me for a while now and you've not made progress and you've not seen any victory. Can we talk about it? Can we see if we can help you? Can we see if maybe you're, you're not following God's path or God's pattern? Maybe there's some areas in your life and maybe there's a reason why you're still struggling with this sin. Maybe, maybe you put, keep putting yourself in a bad place. Maybe you keep leaving yourself vulnerable to temptation. Maybe you haven't changed what you're watching on YouTube and TV or maybe you're, you're still reading the same things you shouldn't be reading or maybe you're still hanging out with people that are a bad influence on you or, or maybe you're just not willing to give up and maybe you haven't been willing to give up this guy or girl and with that relationship comes sexual activity. Maybe you're not willing to, you know, you, you want to hang out with your friends and they party and so it's kind of like, kind of hard not to. Eventually you find yourself back doing Maybe Maybe you've been doing something that, that's deceitful and no one really knows about it so it feels like you've been kind of getting away with it so you've been kind of... Um, Maybe you've been making some money or, or cheating someone or lying on your, lying on, cheating on your test or lying about a relationship. Or maybe you're hiding something from your past and you met someone you don't want to know. And so basically there's something going on. It's, it's something not right. And it's going to start deteriorating your walk with God. And you're going to carry this awful load around. And it's going to start eating at your walk with God. And, and do you know why you vomit when you eat something that's poisonous? Do you know why you vomit? Do you know that God made you to vomit? To get it out. Your body starts, forgive me if I'm too graphic, but your, your body starts blowing and going. When you get sick, it's working with all its might to get that thing out. It is working overtime. You're sweating. You've got a fever. You're hurting. You're miserable. It's like your body will not allow you to think about anything else till you get that out that could kill you. It's actually, praise God, that you have a built-in system that responds to something that's trying to kill you. And your body is so geared... To, all your energy is focused on getting it out, getting it out, getting it out. And it's to save your life. It's a miserable process, but it's to save your life. And that's the way sin is. Sometimes it's so miserable getting it out. It's in there. It's beginning to impact your life. And you're like going, I don't want to give that up. I don't want to give that up. I don't want to stop doing that. I don't want to confess this. I don't want people to know this about me. I don't want to do that. I don't want to, Lord. Please don't make me. Please don't make me stop doing that. Please don't make me get this out. And everything inside of you, the Spirit of God is trying to get you to vomit the sin out. And you're like, no, I don't want to. No, I don't want, I want, to, I don't want to. That's messy. I don't want to go through that pain. It's so, I don't want to. It's like someone that's on drugs and they're like, oh, no, I don't want to do detox. I don't want to do detox. Please don't make me go through. Detox is terrible. I don't want to detox. I don't want to sweat and shake and, and, and just there for several days where I'm just like miserable, so sick. And so they go on with their drugs. 
And sometimes sinners are like, no, I don't want to get that. I don't want to confess that to anyone. I don't want to, Lord God, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. It's unpleasant. And so you go on with no relief and no help and you're unhealthy. And God says, please, come to me. Let's get it out. Only way to feel better is to get it out. So I want to I um, read what the Bible says about getting it out. 1 John 1, 9. It, it's the most popular Bible verse about confessing sin. If we confess our sins, if we confess our sins, my sins, if I confess my sin, if I not hide my sin, not pretend I don't have a particular sin, if I confess my sin, sins, plural, is more than one, if I confess my sins, if I confess all offenses to God, to others, if I confess my sin to God, He is faithful and just to forgive me my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. That's what I want, cleansing. Do you know vomiting is cleansing? I don't like it. But it's, it's the process. Cleansing. And I want, I want, be, I want to be clean. And, and can, I, can I give you another verse? Psalm 139. Psalm 139. It's my, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. I love Psalm 139. Verse 23 and 24 is the posture that precedes revival. The posture that precedes a work of God and the presence of God in my heart is this. It's when I get on my face before God and I talk to God like this. Search me, oh God, search me. Search me with your wisdom and knowledge and insight. Search me, oh God. Know my heart. My heart. I don't even know my own heart. I don't like to confess to myself what I've done wrong, much less to someone else. Search me, oh God. Know my heart. My heart where I try to hide things and I don't want anyone to know the truth. Try me and know my thoughts. Like, try me. Put me on the stand, God. Know my thoughts. I'm pleading with you. Try me and see if there be any grievous way in there. Like, Lord, you see. You see stuff I don't see. You see stuff I've buried. You see stuff I don't acknowledge. See if there be any grievous way, any grievous way in me. Not just the biggies, anything. God, anything. Is there anything in there that doesn't please you and lead me in the way everlasting? Lead me. Because, Lord God, if we go in there and we look at this stuff, I'm going to need you to lead me out because it's heavy and I will drown in it. And I'm afraid to go in there because I'm afraid that it will be discouraging. I'll fail. It'll, it'll make me feel like I'm not a Christian. Lord, if we go in there, will you please lead me out? I'm going to have to trust you, God. Everything inside of me doesn't want to confess my deepest sins. Everything really doesn't. I really don't want you going there, in there because I'm afraid you'll, you'll point out some things and I don't feel strong enough. I'm too weak. To, will you, will you, if we go in there, will you lead me out? Because it's terrifying. Because i got some stuff inside of me that's, that's just nasty. Will you, God? And his answer is always yes. And then he, he, says it, he says it like this. And this is how it will impact the whole body of Christ. Here's another example of great revival verse. Did you know the great revival verse in the Bible also includes confession of sin? 
In 2 Chronicles 7, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves. It's not hard. It's not easy. It's not fun. It's hard to humble yourself. But if, if, this is conditional, if my people who are called by my name, in the New, New Testament application would be you Christians, if my people, you Christians who are called by my name, you claim to know me, you claim my promises, you claim my power to heal people, you claim the power of the cross, you sing the mighty name of Jesus and the power of the blood, you sing it. But if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, would you be willing to humble yourself before the King of Kings today and pray and seek my face? Turn from their wicked way. Turn. That's repentance. Turn from my wicked way. Lord, I'm ready to seek you, and I'm going to turn, turn from my wicked ways. My, some of my ways are, not all my ways are wicked, but I've got some wicked ways, God, and I'm ready to part with them. It's going to be painful because we've lived together for a long time, but I want it out. Then I will hear from heaven. It's conditional. If you'll do this, then God will do this. Then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sins. That's the goal, to be forgiven and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer made in this place. For now I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. What a promise. And then I just want one last one, last one because here's, here's, the, here's the result. Here's the conclusion. Here's what God says in Psalm 32. He says, if you'll confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive you your sins. If you will um, search me, O God, lead me in, lead me out. Second Chronicles says, you promise that if it's conditional, that if I'll do this, you'll do that. And the, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow is that you'll be happier than you've ever been in your whole life. Happy, blessed, full, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. There's no blessing in having your sin hidden. You're the only one that's going to hurt. and You've got to get it out and forgiven. Blessed is the one whose transgression, forgiven, sin, covered, covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, covered, paid for. Covered doesn't mean it's not hidden anymore. This, In this sense, covered means paid for, atoned for. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Like the Lord looks at me, is it not the most thrilling thing to think that God Almighty could look at you and not see your sin anymore because it's covered? He knows your sin, but He doesn't, uh, he doesn't um, align it with you anymore. He doesn't associate your sin with you anymore because He associates your sin with Jesus dying on the cross. It's like your sin is now on Christ. It's no longer on you. This, your sins are on Jesus. And so now when he looks at you, he sees Jesus. And Jesus paid for the sin and rose from the dead, victorious over sin. So Jesus, who rose from the dead, now lives in you. So he sees Christ in you. And he separates you from your former record of sin. And then he says, when I was silent, my bones wasted away. It's like I tried, I didn't want to deal with it. And it started eating, eating, me, eating at me physically. When I was silent, my, I started having physical problems through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. What is this? The heavy hand of God. It's like God's trying to get you to vomit. He wants you to vomit. 
and it's heavy upon you. You begin to feel the weight, and that's the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit wanting us to feel the weight of our sin and the consequences of our sin so He can get it out. It's like, Lord, I wasn't, I wasn't dealing with my sin. I was silent. I was trying to pretend it wasn't there. And my, my body started to feel the weight of it. And I was, it was heavy. It began to be heavy on me. I started groaning. Day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up by, as by heat of the summer. And then... Oh, Lord, thank God. Praise God for verse 5. I acknowledged my sin to you, did not cover my iniquity. And I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. There it is. It's out. It's out. Exhausted. Do, do you know? Do you know when I had food poisoning, and for those of you who've had it as well, I, I didn't like the process. I'm not real fond of the process. I was so happy when I finally realized it was out. That was the last vomit. That was the last heat. I was exhausted. I wasn't initially happy because I was so worn out. And it took me a couple of days to begin to experience my freedom from that thing that got inside. I wasn't immediately able to celebrate, but inside I was, I was happy because it was out. And it had done some work and taken some toil on my body. So I wasn't quite in a celebratory state yet, but I was getting there because it was out and I knew it. And I was beginning to eat and recover. And my strength came back. And that's spiritually what we want, right? Get it out. Lord God, search me. Search me, oh God, to see if there be any wicked way within me. And lead me in the way of life. Restore to me the joy of of my salvation. Renew me, O oh God. Lord, with your divine eye, I beg you, search me. Whatever is in me, I'm ready to confess because I want the promised joy. So I invite you today, as we close, that as we sing, maybe what you need to do is just pray. You might want to come up here and pray. You might want to grab someone and just say, hey, will you just pray with me? You don't have to tell them what it is. Just tell them that God has laid something on my heart and I want to do business with God and I just want someone to know and, and join me and pray. Okay, so we're going to stand. And I'll, let me say this too. If, if you're not a Christian and you're here today, and you've been wanting to learn about becoming a Christian, this is kind of what it's about. That Jesus Christ gave himself on the cross to heal my sickness, to help me and bring me to health by dying on the cross for my sins. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Let's pray. Father, thank you this day for your victory on the cross that can be ours by faith. 
And I pray, oh God, would we all, wouldn't we all benefit by praying the prayer of Psalm 139 to search our heart? Would you do that now, God? Lord God, search my heart and show me if there be any wicked way in me, something that maybe I haven't even realized. Anything, God, so that I might experience the joy of forgiveness. Blessed Lord, you are good and your mercy endures forever. Amen.